Hey everybody, Coach Jonathan here from Trainer Road, and this week we have a special edition of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. We'll be replaying a previous conversation that we had with nationally ranked time trialist and road cyclist Justin Rossi for the Herbalife Mark Pro Strava cycling team. We talked about how to become a faster time trialist in this episode. So sit back, pick up some tips from one of the best time trialists in the United States, and let us know if you have any questions by submitting an email to support at trainerroad.com or jumping on our website for a live chat. Thanks, guys. Happy training. All right, everybody. Welcome to the training, uh, forgive me, welcome to the Time Trial 101 webinar. Uh, we're here with uh, Justin Rossi and Coach Chad. I'll introduce myself really quick here. My name is Jonathan Lee. I'm a certified USA Cycling Coach, um, Cat 1 mountain bike rider, and that's mainly, I, I mainly I tend to play in the dirt, uh, but just the same. Um, I'm here with some guys that definitely do know what they're talking about with time trialing. Uh, Coach Chad, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Chad Timmerman. I'm a Level 1 USA Cycling Certified Coach. I've been coaching riders and uh, athletes in one capacity or another for about 10 years, and I've been competing on the road, a little bit in the dirt, a little bit of duathlon, off and on for about 25 years now. Perfect. And uh, Justin. Yeah, Justin Rossi. Uh, I am uh, the local... Cat one cyclist here, uh, time trial specialist. I ride for Herbalife, presented by Mark Pro Strava. Uh, I've been in this bike racing game for about six years now, and I am not certified as a coach, (laughs) but I have a lot of good knowledge. He's certifiably fast, so we can say that much. Um, And you haven't been in in it for too long, six years. I mean, a lot of people have been at this game for a lot longer and have developed a lot less speed or you know, fitness that you have. So, um, and just, you said you're the local cat one cyclist, but you're also, you're nationally ranked. I mean, you got second at national TT champs last year, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Second last year by nine seconds. That stings. So stung a bit, but, uh, (laughs) I'm off to a good start this year. I've, I've won both time trials I've competed in. So just keep plugging away. Awesome. Very cool. So, We're going to talk time trials today. We're going to talk about how to prepare for and execute the perfect time trial. And, and Justin and Chad and I, we're all going to to pitch in here and, and discuss different topics. Um, but, uh, it's not just up to us three at the same time. We want you guys to, uh, to ask your questions too. So with your go to webinar panel that you'll see off to the side, you can see a spot that has questions or chat and feel free to type in your questions. And as we move through the broadcast, we'll be glancing at those. And at the end um, of, our, of our presentation, as you can see on the screen here, we have a visual presentation here. At the end of that, uh, we'll actually uh, handle those questions that we have. Um, so please, any questions, really any of them, whatever you have, we'll do our best to answer them. We may not be able to answer everyone, but we'll, we'll give it our best shot. So, but uh, for now, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and roll into the presentation and kick things off by talking about preparation itself and how to prepare for that time trial now time trialing is unique in the sense that it's it's just you against the clock um and of course that then slots you against other riders but that's what you're really shooting for there's not a lot of race tactics involved it's it's all really comes down to your preparation so time trialing perhaps above other racing disciplines preparation is key you really have to make sure that 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 you have everything down it's up to you in the end right Um, so let's talk about gear setup first, first things first. And Justin, I look at your bike and it's like the perfect gear setup. (laughs) That thing is as arrow as it can be. And as you saw in that first slide, he was on it there. Um, Chad and I have 
taken a look at it, and we admire the fact there's not a single bit of cable showing Super anything. Clean. Yeah. 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 Why do you, I mean, first of all, why do you go through all of those efforts, and is it really worth it? Absolutely. Um, even if, you know, it, it, it's not that much of a gain, it's a gain. And in time trials, you know, like I lost nationals by nine seconds. That's, that's a tire choice. That's a helmet choice. That's, uh, you know, cables. That's, that's so small over a course of 30 to 40 minutes. So it makes a huge difference. And I think also, like mentally, when your bike looks good and feels good, it just it helps you push that much faster. And it's just, it just helps you go. That's inter- there's something to that, right? I mean, the mental aspect of sure. things. Right? Sure, time traveling, is a, there's a huge psychological component because it's just you and your thoughts. Yeah. And the clock, of course. Yeah, it, you know, for example, when I'm training with just regular wheels, um, I'll go out there and push, you know, my wattage for whatever the 20-minute interval. But the second I throw a disc mm-hmm. and that big old 80-millimeter front right. and, and the helmet, it just, just if you're going faster and you can hear the disc and you just you just feel it and it just helps you push that much harder yeah there's a certain uh, i was always told by a good friend of mine a mentor of mine growing up when i was racing motorcycles that it's not it doesn't matter how fast you are it matters how fast you look and that's not true at all that's bad advice <laughs> but at the same time there's something to that there's and something to it when you feel fast you, you do tend to go faster um but the science behind it is about increasing your aerodynamic efficiency right in other Absolutely. words if you're to if you're to ride through a wall, you're trying to cut a smaller hole in that wall, and that's not just overall size. You know, if you're a big guy, you can still be arrow, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's there's different areas that you can focus on, um, but the the whole the whole point of of setting up your bike is to try to find that balancing point where you're as arrow as possible, but not so tucked into that tight arrow position that you're actually not able to maintain power output, right? Yeah. And that, that's the main key. Uh, what have you done to find those those points, Justin? As far as, I mean, I know you've done a lot of work to make sure that things are arrow. Yeah. You found yourself tipping over the edge, or you've gone a little too far. Or how do you find that balance? Um, it's kind of tough. Um, I have heard of people that that drop their bars too low, and um, you know they lose power. I've never had that problem really. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of just just I focus on getting as aerodynamic as possible and and then I practice and practice and practice with that position and then usually it'll come along like some people will make a, a change lose power but if they stick with it for a month or more their body will adapt and and then they'll eventually get those watts back and they'll have that aerodynamic position and Justin when you say practice 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 how many times a week do you spend on your time trial bike how many uh, workouts uh one to two times a week uh sometimes I'll ride a time trial bike all week hmm. um just depending you know maybe something's going on with the road bike or maybe I'm just feeling it or maybe I've slacked a little bit okay. um but minimum one time a week and as I'm getting closer to big events like Redlands coming up and nationals that will be coming up uh, twice a week for sure. Okay. And a lot of people don't really like riding the time trial bike. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. not it's not as much fun. Um, for some reason, I enjoy it. I, sure. You know, you have to enjoy it if you want to be a time trial specialist. You you kind of have to have a, a little relationship with your time trial bike. Yeah, I agree completely. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And Chad, what's the best way from, and I guess from a coaching perspective, how can us average Joes 
figure out if we're getting too aero, so to speak, or, or compromising our power output with our aerodynamic position? Um, pretty easily in that you just monitor FTP. So you measure FTP non-aero in the most comfortable position that you're in, and then you just see to it that your position doesn't come at the expense of your FTP. And if it does, it has to be a, a temporary expense that over time you adapt and you grow accustomed to your time trial position and working in your time trial position and your power comes back up to FTP regardless of your, your aerodynamic position. That makes sense. So it's not abnormal to see your power differ if you're just moving into that position, that aero position, yeah, but over time. Yeah, it's a time, process for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and there's there's differing schools of thought on it that, that the bike should fit the rider, not the rider fit the bike. But um, I think Justin can attest to the fact that you have to adapt to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I'm sh- Sure, there are certain scenarios where people go too far, mm-hmm. and they're sure. and they're trying to adapt, and and that's when you kind of need to be in touch with your body and your numbers and everything, and, and go wait, something's not working here. Exactly. Let's let's rethink this a little bit, um, but but don't give up on it really quickly. You know, you just yeah. if you make a change, just don't be shocked if numbers are different for a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point, and. So there's, we can change our positioning. That's mostly free. If you can turn a wrench and you don't pay a guy to turn a wrench, right? Um, but if you don't have confidence in your ability to not strip bolts, then do pay a guy to turn a wrench. But if, you know, you can turn that wrench, change things around in your positioning and, and, and find yourself in a, in a more aerodynamic uh, or aerodynamically efficient position, which is great. Then there's stuff that you can also do, especially with your kit. Probably the one of the biggest places to save time or i should say to be more aerodynamically efficient has to be with getting into a skin suit right i mean yeah. all of us we're, we're you know when you we start out cycling we have somewhat of a baggier jersey and we have these club fits and then even when we get into a race team or something we have a nice club fit jersey it's still not necessarily a uh, a full-on skin suit and chad you and i were just watching a video with specialized the other day yeah, the wind tunnel yeah. studies and the difference between a like a club cut jersey versus a race cut then uh-huh. versus a skin suit they're all measurable as you, as you yeah. step down through those the levels of aerodynamics and they yeah. were talking from a jersey that was i mean really not a baggy jersey it's just it, it flapped in the wind a bit on the shoulders yeah. that to a skin suit i think it was on the same level as like a wheel set when you're talking about going standard wheels to a deep section wheel I remember set. it was a surprising amount yeah. Yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah i would say that's on par with wheels so what have you done, Justin, to make sure, or I guess, to, on the skin suit game? How have you made sure that that's locked down? Um, well, we got, uh, you know, our sponsors have changed throughout the years, um, but we're on with Jack Roo now, and uh, they've done a really good job of, of doing some testing. They're coming up in the game, and they have a flash speed suit that, that I really like, <laughs> um, and they've done some some work to make it faster. You can tell the sleeves just hug you a little bit more. Um and it's just, it's just, you could tell they, they put some time into it and, and always size down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big <laughs> wear, thing. Wear the smallest skin suit you can get without ripping it. Uh, you know, it's like a, a two person job usually to get into your skin suit. Yeah. Just make sure you can still breathe. Three person job to get it off. But <laughs> yeah, you, you could tell real quickly, you know, if, 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 if you put it on and you're standing up in your regular position and there's like any, any wrinkles in it, then it's, yeah. it's time to go down a size. Yeah, you see a lot of the pictures of the guys in their skin suits, and it looks like an extremely deep V-neck, you know, that they've got on, and that's because that skin suit's made to fit you when you're in your bike position, not standing up. And that's an that's you know when you size down like that, it is going to be extremely tight, especially when you're standing straight up. Yeah. But when you get into that arrow position, it's something totally different. 
you know, and if there's any spot to spend some money on, and if you're, you know, on a road bike and you don't want to buy a spring for a TT bike, a really easy way to do it is get some really good fitting kit. Um, and if you can, a skin suit, it really helps. Helmets are kind of different in the sense that we saw those big, long teardrop shaped helmets for so long. And a lot of guys use them and they are good for a lot of people, but now we're seeing, you know, there's aero road helmets. So kind of a hybrid in between the two. And we're also seeing a lot of aero helmets that don't have those long tails yeah. because, and really it comes down to the fact that not all of us are pro, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> if we are riding and you're the type of guy that keeps his head so that that stinger on the back of the helmet. Yeah, is there's an issue up. with, you know, which position you keep your head in. If you ride flat back or curb backed, yeah. um, the, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means a aero expert, but I know people who are, and I, I run the the questions by them and just yeah. uh, trust yeah helmets are talking about helmets are interesting uh all different shapes and sizes and and really it's kind of the individual the rider and their their habits i tend to keep my head really still so and i have a little bit of a hunch i have the rounded back um so i i have a gyro selector that that fits pretty good it kind of fills that void behind my shoulders and i keep my head just really really you know, in that turtle position and I try not to move it. Some people put their head down up, they're looking all over the place. So you're looking at maybe one of the shorter ones, like a cask mm-hmm. or Pac has one. Uh, there's a bunch out there or even a uh, specialized road arrow helmet. That I see a lot of guys. Yeah. yeah. I see a lot of guys using that in time yeah. trials mm-hmm. and they've tested in the wind tunnel and, and there's a reason they're using it. Yeah. So in fact, it, we've it, seen that at Kona, some of their top athletes at Kona have used the evade instead of going to a directly a TT helmet. You know, those crosswinds that they constantly have that yeah. are, they're famous in that, on that course. And okay, yeah. maybe yeah. they just move their head. And, yeah. You know, like you said, they move their head more Four hour time trial, oh, right? Well, you yeah. know, you, you're going to have to move your head around a little bit, uh, better cooling, yes. uh, for a long triathlon kind of effort like that. It's probably a better choice versus a big old, you know, <laughs> with yeah. the big old tail and it's you know my helmet's black and it just gets hot and then for longer hotter courses breathability has to come yeah, into it's it or huge anything. Mm-hmm. yeah we don't realize uh, we don't give our body enough credit for cooling itself it's doing a lot of work when we're riding to try to cool off and anything we can do to help it on that is huge so yeah having that helmet that's got that long stinger on there may not be the best thing for you maybe it is but yeah. it's it's worth looking into and you know, find that spot. And it's really hard to actually, without a wind tunnel, it's hard to actually get some reliable data. But hey, if you can make conditions line up and then you start at a consistent time and keep all, all things consistent, it should at least give you some type of indication as long Absolutely. as you're keeping everything as consistent as possible. Make your own wind tunnel, so yep. to speak. You know? Absolutely. And analyze every bit of your kit too. I mean, going down to the, you know, your shoes, um, yeah, Velcro straps. Maybe you can change it up and go to some dials or some really sleek buckles or mm-hmm. get some shoe covers. I've seen those uh, Velo toes. They're yeah. just a they're like they're latex or something yeah. like that. And they just yeah. slide right over and. Well, they I, that's what I use now, um, but they don't they don't slide very well. I, I, <laughs> you you got to put a lot of baby powder on those things, and uh, it it's just give yourself an extra five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but they are, you know, that's arguably the fastest thing out there if you're going to go with the shoe cover. Yeah, they're uh, cheap, Knit too. shoe covers are pretty much, they found that it's almost slower than a regular shoe. Yeah. Um, so if you have a shoe that's, it maybe has some buckles on it, uh, look look for something like Velotose. Plus, 
those are you know fifteen bucks. Yeah, super cheap. Yeah, super cheap. And you look fast. Once again, we're getting down to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. look smooth and fast. Yeah. And then shave your arms, shave your legs, all that stuff. Uh-huh. You've proven that in those specialized videos too that it's quicker. So now you actually have an excuse to shave your legs. So yeah. that's a good thing. Except um, for Wiggins had a full beard when he won the, yeah, there the you world go. title. Right. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, more power. And then on the bike side of things too, it's not just up to uh, not just up to you to spend a lot of money on aero stuff. The setup can change too. Is in, I think probably one of the biggest things that people can do to make things a little more to change their position, move their saddle forward a bit. That'll help them get forward and into a spot where they can put that weight forward onto the front wheel, or perhaps take a couple spacers out from underneath that stem, drop that stem maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Once again, you're trying to find that balance, but. There's things you can do to make yourself a fast time trialist without having to spend a bunch of a bunch of cash on it. You know, take that bottle cage off and the bottle off. Yeah, do you really need it for the 20 minute effort? Who knows? You know? <laughs> but it's something to ask yourself for sure. So, um, but now let's talk. Let's assume that you've got your equipment out of the way. Let's talk about the actual training side of things because training for a, a time trial effort is unique to other forms of training. That's for sure. Um, Chad, when we're talking about the, the base phase, what's unique about, about that when we're talking about time trial training, how is that going to differ from a normal road racer or a guy? Um, for in the early stages, it doesn't differ a heck of a lot. It's huh. still about building your aerobic motor. So cool. and it, it, it might change differently based on what sort of events. I mean, if you have to do an Ironman time trial where you're on the bike four five, six hours, um, your, uh, endurance or your aerobic conditioning is a much higher factor or greater factor than it would be for someone who's training for a 30 or 40 K time trial where they're going to be, you know, under an hour, well under an hour in some cases, but, uh, primarily, you know, building the aerobic motor. Yeah. And do you spend a lot of time working on that traditional base, that low and slow type of approach, Justin, <laughs> and when do you do that? Or do you do more just sweet spot work? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a tempo sweet spot guy. I, uh, you know, I have a full-time job, as do most of us, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't have time uh, to, to ride 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, so pretty much after I take my month off or month and a half uh, at the end of the season, when I get back into it, it's, it's right into tempo work. Um, and I have that number, and I just go out and start with, you know, 30-minute intervals and then eventually build it to one hour and, and two-hour intervals at that power. Um, and, and what were you talking about, like 90%, 80, 85% uh, tempo sweet spot? Or? Let's see. I, was just, I guess it would be 75% okay. of, of FTP. Gotcha. Um, and it's, it's just I found that I just don't like the just, just riding around for five hours, I just the, mm-hmm. the endurance pace. And it's different for everybody. You know, everybody has different theories. That's just mine, and it, it seems to work pretty well. I, I don't like spending just long hours on the bike it just makes me tired and bored and um i'd rather just get on the bike and go for it and yeah. uh start training threshold as soon as possible yeah that kind of takes us into the build phase where you've taken care of the, the kind of base elements of your training right and you're getting into that threshold style work and this is where things start to look a little different chad than maybe a road race yeah so so whereas the intensity was you know you can depending on how you approach it if you're a long slow distance and you're riding you know zone two 60 percent of threshold mm-hmm. uh, roughly if you take justin's approach my approach and most people who are pressed for times approach mm-hmm. then it's more sweet spot where you're at the higher end of tempo and the lower end of threshold um 
And then once you roll into your build training, um, you're going to start working at higher percentages of threshold and start pushing it up to you know, closer to your actual time trial power and trying to basically extend the time that you can sustain reasonably high and, and higher percentages of your FTP. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is, when we talk about the training phases, your build is crucial in every racer's training phase? In every, but especially yeah. time trialists. So yeah. Muscle endurance is, it's it. I mean, that's, that's the pillar. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about, you know, you can even assess with like a 20-minute effort or something like that. Um, you can even assess your FTP at something that you may not be able to maintain for an hour, you know, um, in the yep. sense that just training your body with that muscular endurance and also the focus, the mental uh, the mental fortitude. Yeah, so when you do a functional threshold assessment and you get your estimate of your hour power, doesn't mean you're going to be able to go out tomorrow and ride an hour at that power. You have to, yeah. you have to grow your endurance. And then in the case of time trialing, you have to grow that muscular endurance in your time trial position. So it's very much a process. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and going out there and, and doing 10, we're talking now, 10 to 20-minute intervals for threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, there's something different about racing at that power and then training because training you need to repeat it you know you're doing two three four yeah. intervals and there's just something about training time trial power that you really really suffer um yes. out there and and that's when it comes to race time you know you've put in all those all those 20 minute intervals and you've suffered through them at a, a lower power and then all of a sudden race day you're like whoa you know, I like ha- you have that extra 10% because you're just doing that one 20 minute mm-hmm. interval and yeah. you have all your equipment that we talked about. Um, but yeah, that's a very important part. Just, just threshold training for, for, for sure. time you trials. Your, your physiological preparedness as well as your, your psychological yeah. and that, I mean, what Justin just said, it's very much, it's both, but the psychological component, you know, you just have to go out there and rip it one time. Yeah. Yes. That, that's huge. And I think that a lot of, a lot of us in training, it's, it's pretty easy to stay entertained with, you know, a hard group ride, or even if we go out and we have intervals that are short in duration, but really intense, it's pretty easy to stay entertained. And what I mean by entertained is just, um, stay away from that moment when you're holding that high level of power for so long and you just want to do anything but stay in that interval, you know, do all you can in training to put down threshold for a long time like that. Like Justin's talking about those tens and twenties and doing them time after time it pays off so huge on race day. Like your, your build phase here, like you said, it's so critical in so many ways. And, and mentally it's so key for you to know that you can actually put out that effort. You've done it before and then you've done it again. So come race day, bring it on. Yeah. That's, that's where, I mean, I live in here in Reno, Nevada. That's, that's where the trainer comes in a lot too. Um, you know, over the winter, you've put in the time on the trainer and on those bad days. And if you can suffer through three 20 minute intervals on a trainer and, and, and pick a goal power, that's, you know, obviously you're not just shooting for your FTP, but if you can hold three twenties on a trainer and, and fight through that mentally, you're, you're, you're going to be ready to go race day. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think that's, and that's one thing when we're talking about, we should definitely differentiate here with a lot of road cyclists that are preparing for a traditional type of road plan, especially like crit racers or anything else, you know, you have shorter intervals that you're going to be working at, but still the, the tr- you can't beat the trainer for structured work. When it comes to time trial preparedness, you really need to be using that trainer effectively. And, and it's not just a bad weather deal, you know, like mm-hmm. it's something that you should use year round, regardless of location, because once again, okay. 
if you can put down that power for 20 minutes on a trainer. And it very much replicates the demands of a time trial. I mean, they're very steady yeah. and they're distraction-free. When you get out there on a, you know, Satley, for instance, a straight out and back, I mean, you're, you're basically on a trainer. You just put your head down and go at yeah. a steady rate. No stop signs mm-hmm. on a trainer. No that's stop our state lights, champ. No, exactly. no people, that's our state no cars here buzzing in Northern California. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. our state champs course here, right? Yep. Yeah, Northern yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah, there's no distractions. It's just up to you, you know, and, and so that's why that trainer, especially using it during your build phase and everything, that's so key. And yeah. it's a perfect time to dial in, you know, hopefully during your base phase, you worked on refining your position as well. But in that build phase, don't be so proud with your position that you have that you don't change it. And then you find yourself, once you're applying power, more power to your to your training regimen, that you actually end up pushing yourself into an injury, you know, I mean... It's not too late to change things. You're going to be spending a lot of time in position at power. So mm-hmm. it's a constant process. I'd be willing to bet Justin's still making little tweaks. Yeah, I, I have uh, uh, after Chico, um, I I changed the the angle of my bars. I actually brought him up a little bit. I was looking at that picture that's mm-hmm. on the front of this, and I was like, and, and although I was going uphill, and that's how I kind of you know work on things. That's that's all I have is pictures, video. Um, to figure out where I'm sitting, and I ask people, and we talk about it. But I wanted to get my hands a little bit closer to my face. Well, you can either get more flexible and and get lower, or you can just kind of tilt your bars up a little bit within the, the UCI limit. So I I tilted them up a little bit, and uh, you know now I'm just maybe an inch closer to my face, and yeah. that's going to block that much more wind. Sure. So every yeah. little bit helps. Always, yeah. always thinking about how I can get faster. Video is key with that. Um, photos and video. I mean, especially when you're on the trainer, it's very easy to set up a camera and to film yourself during a mm-hmm. session. Um, you'll be able to nail down some things, and if you need some help, have somebody that's experienced in that analyze it. Um, and then also at the same time, try to get somebody to film yourself on the road because with your bike not anchored down and outside in the road, you know, you may behave somewhat differently on there. So yeah. Good point. Um, it's interesting with time trialing. There's a lot more that goes into it than just working on pushing power through the pedals. You know, you've got to work yeah. on positioning and all that stuff. So, um, and in fact, that kind of that brings us to the specialty training portion of things. So, when you're getting closer to your event and your training gets a little more focused and a little more specialized, there are certain things you can do that are hugely advan- advantageous, especially for time trialing. And as you can see on the presentation, we have a little picture of a map and a route. And I know that that's one of the greatest things you can do um, when you're coming into a to any type of an effort like that. Do some course recon, right? Sure. Um, what have you done, Justin, or what do you do to – you've got a time trial out in front of you, Redlands, for example. Yep. What do you do to prepare for that time trial beforehand regarding, you know, course recon? Um, use your computer. Use your tools. Uh, there's – you know, Strava is, is huge. So you can route your own. You know, you can go on there and 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 click the route. So as long as you know the route, you can yeah. go on there and make your route. And then you can check out the profile and 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 see the different segments and the average gradients and uh, maybe some technical aspects of the course. Um, if you're a you know super geek like myself. Uh, <laughs> You know, Nationals last year was in Wisconsin, so I couldn't really preview the course. I actually went on Google Earth and, like, took a look at the roads and some of the, what the hills look like because, you know, a 50-foot power climb on a computer, you know, just a little profile map is one thing, but then actually seeing it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, that's what that's going to look like. And 
probably the most important thing is is try to make time to go ride the course before you race it. Um, it's not always possible. Um, just this last weekend, I, and it's a Tempest Fujit TT uh, down there in Castro Valley, and uh, it was an out and back, uh, some technical aspects to it, and uh, I had to get up an extra hour and a half early to get to the course to ride it before the, co- the race started. You know, my start time was 9.50, and the first rider was off at 8 a.m. Well, I got there at 7.30 and just got on my bike and jumped on the on the course and I went out and checked it out. I was like, Ooh, this turn, I, I, I was coming downhill and I tried to do it in my arrow bars and almost, <laughs> almost lost it before the race. Wow. And it's like, okay, That's if I was doing speed. this for the first time <laughs> in a time trial and I had 180 heart rate and I was going way faster with the equipment, it would not have been good. No. Uh, so I knew, and then, and then it started raining. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I was really happy that I rode the course and, and, and got up that little bit extra early to, to check it out. So course recon and, and knowing what you're up against and knowing the hills and all the little different aspects of the course are, are really big. Yeah. And then and um, that's that also ties into a service that, that we like here at Trainer Road. It's pretty cool. It's definitely the ultimate cycling geek tool. It's called mm-hmm. Best Bike Split. And as Justin said, if you know what the course is, then you can analyze it. And in this case, it's the same if you have a GPS file, which you can be secretive about it and go find somebody that's written that, and then you can download their GPS file off of Strava or Garmin Connect or something, right? Download that file, and then what you can use is you upload that file, or if you've written it before, that's even better. Upload that file to Best Bike Split, and then they ask you a bunch of questions like your FTP, your weight, your height. Then they ask you about the depth of wheels that you have on the bike, the type of helmet, the weight of all the accessories you'll be carrying on the bike, the weight of your kit, everything else. They go into everything, ask a bunch of questions. You type in the date, it'll find out what the prevailing weather conditions will be like on that day. Um, It'll plug in everything that you would need. And then what they do is they lay out the perfect pacing strategy based off of your FTP. And that's like the ultimate cheat sheet because no longer do you have to worry about so there's a hill there. Should I go hard on the hill and then uh-huh. easy on the descent? Or should I go easy on the hill, hard on the descent? How do I, where do I distribute all of my kilojoules that I have available? Uh-huh. Now huh. you just can simply lay it out into Best Bikes, but it plays it out for you. It's super cool. It's definitely a, a, a cool thing. But as you're working through and you're doing your course recon and everything else on the training side of things, you should be winding things down a bit. There's There's a lot of myths, or I should say misconceptions about tapers, Chad, but... What should you be doing regarding tapering coming into a time trial? How should you taper? Should you just drop everything off? Should you? Um, there's there's actually a lot of science on tapering anymore and a lot of fancy buzzy words to throw around. But the the gist of it is you're trying to sharply reduce your volume but keep the intensity. So uh, the idea being that you come to race day as fresh as possible, having having lost minimal fitness over the course of your taper and uh, just uh, is as fit and fresh as you can as you can possibly be yeah yeah that's a good point and you don't necessarily need to uh just completely sit on the couch it's it's absolutely not in fact (laughs) you'll pay a a hefty price if that's your your taper exactly absolutely yeah i know and that's the time to to really um kind of ramp up those those efforts and and look for those those really high numbers that you only hit a few times a year Mm -hmm. Um, you know, on your maybe some VO2 work 
instead of doing six five-minute intervals, you're going to do three five-minute intervals, mm-hmm. or depending on your plan and whatever your coach has set up for you or yourself, depending on if you're self-coached. Um, but that's where you're, you're going to kind of really ramp up those, those efforts, and you're going to want to see those high numbers uh, coming into your taper. Yeah. It, it makes sense, too. I mean, if you're using something like Best Bike Split, as you get closer to the, your event, you're going to have an accurate indication of your FTP at that moment. And then you can use that to structure things and then use that to structure your intervals and make sure that you're doing those intervals at the proper intensity, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need to do as many, like you said. Maybe you reduce the volume, but you uh-huh. don't necessarily reduce the intensity. So um, let's talk about how you execute it now. You've reconned the course. You've prepared your bike. You've trained. You've done all of those things. So first things first, let's talk about nutrition when you get up in the morning. Um, certainly, it's now... When, when we say necessity, um, it's important to keep in mind that you don't necessarily need to eat before the time trial. I mean, if you've got a 5 a.m. start and you do not operate by getting up at, you know, 2 a.m. To, <laughs> to eat, you know, that's kind of tough, right? I mean, Chad, what are, are there any rules of thumb that they should follow when, with nutrition pre-time trial? Uh, actually, no. Nutrition is such a touchy subject and so subjective. I mean, everybody has different approaches. What works for one person may not work for anybody else. Um, so it, it very much comes down to the athlete and a whole lot of trial and error. So what have you, that's a good point. And what have you done, Justin, then to dial in your nutrition? Like it is individual, I assume for you too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I know it works for me. I eat the same thing every morning, um, uh, on time trial day, you know, depending if you have a morning start or afternoon start, you're definitely going to want to have a full meal. And if you have a full meal, before you race you're going to want to have it at least a couple hours before your race right. you know not an hour before your race yeah. or something like that and then you know depending on the person you may just go off fluids from there or you may bring some fruit have a banana to, to, it all depends and and like chad said this is something that that you've done before you need to kind of like know your stomach yeah don't don't just go get a grand slam at, at denny's because it's right next door to the hotel that you're staying at and that's kind of a hard thing um that's where i you know maybe it helps uh but i i travel with food sometimes and certainly breakfast like i i always have my oats and people make fun of me all the time but i just know that 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 works for me and my stomach likes that um, and when you're traveling, you don't always have access to a kitchen. Uh, so you got to think ahead and, 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 yeah. you know, where are you going to be? Are you going to have a kitchen? Are you going to have a microwave? Are you going to have a fridge? How are you going to work that? So, so plan that out. That's, you know, yeah. it goes back to square one. It's all about preparation and knowing your body and what, what works for you. You bring up a good point. I mean, I know I, I just was at down to the national race down there, the pro XCT mountain bike series in Southern California, surprised myself with some Thai food the night before. <laughs> I thought that I could handle it, and it was a terrible choice, and I ended yeah. up getting food poisoning the next day. So <laughs> um, during the race, it was terrible. So yeah. DNF. And uh, like you said, controlling those elements of your program, making sure that you know exactly what's going into your dinner and you know how it's being cooked and prepared and you have the necessary means to do that, that's huge. And bring a little camping stove. 
It's yeah. not a lot to carry around. You can get those little ones that are pretty small, and you can cook a lot with that. You can yeah. cook rice. Don't tell your hotel this, but you can cook rice in the coffee maker. You can do a bunch of things <laughs> like that. So, yeah. you know, you can you can get away with things. Uh, a lot of people travel with rice makers, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. rice cooker, yeah. uh, hot plates. You know, yeah. is another option there if you if you want to go full bore. But you know, you can you can stay at a Motel Six and have a hot plate oats and exactly. cook some eggs, and you can make it work. It, it's just you know, thinking ahead and planning for it. Yes. Make sure that when you're training, you know, as you're moving through your training, that you're dialing that in as well. It's not just getting stronger on the bike. It's getting smarter in other areas too. And then, so you're at the event, you've had your breakfast and it's warm up time. Warm ups are kind of interesting because just naturally we're always hesitant to, to use up our energy, so to speak. We think that it's we have this finite store of energy, and if we use any of it, then then we're compromising performance in the event. But it's not really like that, right, Chad? Uh, it shouldn't be. If if your fitness is so flimsy that a warm up takes wind out of your sails, then you're probably not fit enough to be competing. So, um, yeah, that that I, I understand that being a concern. People don't want to waste any energy that they feel they might need on the race course. But again, it's it's trial and error. You figure out. Uh, whether it's through practice time trials or previous time trials, you know, how much of a warm up do I need for a 40K? How much do I need for a 9K prologue? Uh, yeah. and, and typically there's a, a, an inverse relationship between the duration of the, the time trial. You know, the shorter it is, then the more intense the warm up, and then vice versa. It, but again, that's even subjective. Some people, you look at Team Sky, they've got a warm up for their time trials. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's 40K, it doesn't matter if it's 50 miles. They've got a single warm up protocol, use it all the time, and they use it to uh, great success. Yeah. What do you so, do? What's your protocol like? When you, how do you warm up, Justin? Uh, it's, it's the same thing every time. Uh, you know, time trial day, I get to the race an hour and a half before. Uh, I always give myself that little bit of extra. You know, usually it's an hour for any kind of other race the time trial like that extra half an hour because there's equipment involved and there's a serious warm-up there's pinning the number just perfectly shoe covers Uh, shoe covers (laughs) yeah yeah hour hour 35 now yeah (laughs) um and i do the same warm-up uh no matter what um and so i i usually shoot i have a couple things that i do um but 500 kilojoules is my warm-up and, um, you know, I get out, kind of spin it out for about 10 minutes, and then I kind of build into uh, goal pace over the next 10 minutes. So I start at, you know, 250 watts and slowly build into, like, you know, 400 watts or whatever. And then I kind of cruise around for a little bit more, and I do a four-minute interval at goal pace. And that kind of is, like, the litmus test to to see where I'm at for the day because day-to-day things things change and you're going to have you know 20 watt swings or or, you know you know a few percentage points depending on how you're feeling where you are in in the season are you peaking did you have good breakfast you know is it cold is it warm are you at elevation all those things so that four minute interval is kind of a, a time for me to just go okay this is this was that was really easy to hold gold pace or oh that did not feel good. So maybe I should rethink goal pace. That was me prior yeah. to getting food poisoning. Yeah, the race. And, 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 you know, don't let your, your goal, you know, dictate, like, your, your pace sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, if you have your eyes set on a specific number and your body is just telling you something different, like, just maybe rethink that. And, and 
you know, you, you can still have a good day, uh, but you're going to have a bad day if, if you if you push your body too hard in a time trial. Yeah, and it might so, just mean just tweaking your pacing strategy a yeah. bit, going out just a little easier than you had planned. Yeah, maybe so, maybe your body's just kind of needs a little more, you know, time to, to wake up. Sure. And I've had that happen where the first half of the race, I'm like, uh-oh. And then all of a sudden, the second half, I'm like, wow, where did that come from? So, you know, your body will surprise you. Um, so after the four-minute interval, I kind of loosen up a little bit more, and then I do a two-minute interval above goal pace. And then I pretty much head back to the car, you know, sit down, get some, get some fluids on board, uh, put my disc on, get all the equipment, put the, put the shoe covers on, helmet on, and, uh, you know, leave yourself plenty of time uh, to just kind of grab a, you know, a breath there. And then I'll head back out and just do a couple, like, short little efforts, just, you know, 10, 15 seconds, and just kind of spin around until about five minutes before the race. And then it's time to, to head into the stables there and, yeah. Oh, just but then then from there it's just, you know, getting focused. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, I mean for some people, once again, this is subjective person to person, right, Chad? But um, you know, ideally we have on there that it ideally ends five to ten minutes before your T T start. For some, you know, your body's not gonna lose all of your warm up after ten minutes. That's something that's important to recognize. Yeah, you can I've, hold on to it for I've a while. I've seen studies that say you you can stretch it to thirty minutes. So I mean when you yeah. when you do your thorough warm up, and you know you roll to maybe the start of a mass start race, like a criterium, and mm. for whatever reason there's a delay, and you're there for ten minutes, and then fifteen, and then twenty, and you yeah. see these guys who go out and ride back and forth as though they're gonna, you know, uh-huh. somehow redeem or maintain some of their warm up. Uh, even then, it's not, it's not always, it's not necessary. You can go for a surprisingly long duration between your warm up and the actual start of the race, and still hang on to a lot of the benefits of the warm up. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That's a yeah. good point for everybody listening, you know, because you, you think, oh, gosh, I got to be I got to be going into the, you know, I got to be hot. I got to be ready to go. I don't want to, you know, cool off. And, and I agree. I've I've sat for 10 minutes. I've sat for one minute. You know, it's it pretty much it's all going to shake out in the first few minutes. Yeah. You're going to blow those cobwebs <laughs> yeah. out in that first two minute effort. You can't help it. Yeah. That and, mental stress that you incur upon yourself, you know, as a result thing. is much worse. Sure. Than, than losing any any perceived benefit from the warm up, you know, yeah. um, just you don't need to. You've got a lot on your mind, so you don't need to do that. And that's kind of the next point is is making sure that you show up at that at that starting line relaxed and focused and, and in the zone. Music's huge for me uh, when I'm doing those warm ups. I like to have I have I also I use a set warm up. I use the same one, and I have a set. Playlist that I listen to. Yeah, it's your playlist. And that's how I warm up. And when all things are the same, it feels right because I've had success with it before. And I know that, you know, it builds confidence in me that I'm ready, you know. And and I think that's a big key. I mean, are there any other things you guys do to to calm down or to to get yourself in the zone as you go to the line? What do you think, Justin? Um, Just remind yourself that you've done everything correctly. You've, You've... You've taken the time and and starting in your your base and your equipment and your build, you know, section of your training and and you've done everything it it, it takes and just just know that in your head and uh, from there it's just kind of finding that little zen moment, um, you know, a few minutes before I don't want to talk to anybody, I want to just sit there and kind of take some deep breaths and look out look out at the course and just you know run through my head the 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 task at hand and how much it's going to hurt and uh 
but you're ready for that. You know, you've done those trainer intervals, you've done, you know, all that VO2 work, you've, you've done it all, and, and now it's time to execute. It's such a mental discipline of cycling. It's because of the fact that there are less variables affecting you, like there are in a mass start race. Mm-hmm. It's such a mental one that you can't put enough emphasis on that, really. I mean, coming into it, you really need to make sure that you're doing your best to stay focused and calm. Yeah, it's Huge. the least reactive of all the disciplines. I mean, you, your, your race is dictated by nobody but you, whereas yeah. you enter a mass start race and everyone else's tactics affect you. Yeah. But yeah. when it comes time to time trial... It's you and your strategy. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And in fact, let's move into pacing on that um, and talk about different pacing strategies that you may be using. And let's talk about a negative split, um, that whole concept of one. Uh, what, what, do, what does that refer to, Chad, the whole concept of a just, negative split? Just that the trail? second half is faster than the first. So yeah. ideally you go out and, and – uh, if you do it, if you divide your time trial in half, then the second half's faster than the first. If you decide, if you divide it in quarters, then typically you start a little bit easy, ramp it up over the second quarter. Try to. It, it all depends on how you want to pace it, but ideally, you're faster in the latter half of the race. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually indica- that's indicative of, of proper pacing. Do you, and is that what you do as well, Justin? When you're yeah, um, usually it, it's it's kind of tricky. I I try to even split it i guess yeah. would be the the, That's the ideal, ultimate right but it's it's sure. truly oh, yeah. if you even split it it's pretty much a negative split because you got to discount that first yes. one to two minutes where you're just way above goal pace and you're like trying to tell yourself to just ease up ease up but you're always going to have that spike in power at the beginning of a time trial and uh if you can have an equal split then then you're pretty much negative splitting it because i don't really count that first two minutes uh in in the power yeah that's a good point um and to not freak out too when you're going out of the gate if you know you go out hard for just a little bit don't be afraid to push on your pedals when you get out of the gate but also don't just sprint like you're going to a finish line you know use your brain here with that one i mean what do you do justin do you go hard as soon as the gun goes or do you go easy and um, How do you break down that first that first 500 meters? What do you do? First yeah, um, I get into my position as soon as possible. I pretty much give myself five to ten seconds uh, where I'm in the base bars, kind of doing that little sprint up to speed. Yeah. Um, but aerodynamics starts uh, weighing in at about 15 miles an hour, and you see a lot of guys just out of the saddle on their base bars, just just sprinting up to speed. And, and it's like not only are you burning yourself out, you're just eating wind. So I, yeah. I, I pretty much five seconds, uh, you know, a, a, a handful of revolutions, and I'm, I'm in the bars and my head's down and uh, let that aerodynamics start, start playing in. Yeah, if you watch any Grand Tour prologue or time trial, those guys are up long enough to get their, their, their legs up to speed, and then they're in that air tuck yep. ASAP. Any second you're out of that is you're being less efficient than you possibly could be. You know, if you look at it from that perspective, you know, stay in that arrow position as much as possible. That's for sure. Um, And then for those of us that don't have a power meter and we're going into a TT, um, this is kind of a whole different topic in itself. But when we're talking about FTP based pacing, when we're using something like best bike split, you know, that'll give you the numbers that you need based off of your FTP as far as what you need to hold, right? Yeah. That's a perfect tool for that. But otherwise, look at it. And if you know that in training you could hold, you know, whatever it is, let's just say, you know, you could hold threshold for, for 30 minutes and you could do that repeatedly, 
and your time trial should be around 30 minutes long, then shoot for that, right? Um, and, and let that second half maybe creep up even. Um, but when we're talking about pacing your time trial, use FTP, right? I mean, isn't that probably the best way to to decide what numbers to hit chat or how hard if you have the luxury of power for sure but even then um you know what your functional threshold is maybe you know what your your goal average wattage is doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you're going to hit it in that first five minutes um if anything be conservative in that first that first quarter um yeah you have to yeah yeah Yeah. don't overdo it and you should familiarize yourself with what threshold feels like in your training so if your power because for some darn reason Every race, it seems like, you know, there's some type of malfunction with something electronical, right? Yeah, I feel strongly Definitely. that any, any, any metric, anything we use to train should inform our perceived exertion. We, we should use everything we do to learn how to do this without all those things, without all those tools. Yeah. That's a really good point. So you should know what threshold feels like by this absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if your power meter isn't working... You know, for those of us that live and die, and even if it is, again, you don't let uh, you can't let those things dictate your race. You got to listen to your body. You got to know what you're capable of. Know that today's not a great day for me, or today's an exceptional day. I'm not going to let my power meter limit me. Yeah, Um, that's that's big, right there. Just what you said. Yeah, absolutely. So numbers can be informative, but they're not certainly not everything. Don't live and die by them. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. And so you've executed the perfect time trial, and now we go into cooling down. Chad, it seems like the jury's still out on cooldowns a bit, right? Yeah, I still can't find any real consensus. Some people uh, strongly advocate them; other people have no faith in them whatsoever. So, and we just see that find what works for you. They're in vogue right now, and sure. amongst the pro peloton, yep. um, anything Sky does is going to be in vogue. Yes. They seem to be the trendsetters. Yeah, yeah. Justin, do you cool down, and what do you do to cool down if you? Do? Uh, yeah, it it kind of depends on where I am and what I have up next. If I don't have a race the next day, I kind of blow it off and i'm thinking about just relaxing and (laughs) not worrying about it right it's like oh my legs will survive uh sometimes i'll do like a little structure cool down um if i have a race the next day and uh we're sponsored by mark pro and that's 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 huge having an electronic stem uh device to kind of move blood around and all that lactic acid and those are those little uh, shock pads you put on your legs right yep yeah. And then it doesn't, not that they shock you and hurt you, but they just, they actually activate your muscles for you, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you get that, that uh, muscle uh, recovery cascade going, getting getting fresh blood into those muscles. And, so it's and exertion-free muscle contraction. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, right, say you're, you know, you have a long drive ahead of you, two hours back to base camp or the hotel or whatever it is, and you can just slap, slap those on your legs. It's, it's, it's awesome just to move some blood around and versus just sitting in a car stagnant for yeah. a couple hours it, it makes a huge difference yeah it certainly does anything you can do to try to give yourself any benefit because the majority of us you're not just going to do one race and have that one goal race be your time trial you're going to have multiple races so when you're looking at your time trial on you know on saturday or sunday or anything else and you've got training coming up the next day mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and don't take any anything i've just said or any of us have just said to it's true. To imply that the um, recovery nutrition doesn't figure into it. I mean, cooling down, uh, the, the jury's out, right? Do you spin or, or not? Do you hop off the bike and hop onto the sofa? Do you ride for another half hour? Uh, you can debate that all you want. One thing you can't debate is the necessity of 
yeah. recovery nutrition promptly after the end of your, your event. Absolutely. Yeah, I have my little post-ride shake ready to go yeah. Yeah. after every race. Sometimes I even have food. Thing. I have my food trough with some sure. rice and, you know, <laughs> some fried rice or something <laughs> like that. If you can stomach it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, getting that recovery going, getting food to replenish what you just did to your body. I mean, that's... It's night and day, especially if you've got uh, an event close on the heels of the one you just finished. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about a time trial effort. I mean, it's an all-out effort. You're going to be cooked after this. For thing, sure. Yeah. You know? So some races you can sit in and maybe get away with a little less little less work or stress on your body. And not a time trial. You're, yeah. you're all out. Yeah, so, you're all out for sure. Yeah, it's important to cover that. So that about covers the actual presentation portion. Um, but what we'll do now is we'll, uh, we'll actually move into... Um, into the questions that you guys have. So if you don't have any questions, um, or if you do have questions, forgive me, go ahead and, uh, and type those in to the go to webinar panel. And then what we'll do here is we'll actually go through and, uh, and try to answer those questions, um, is, is I guess to the best of our knowledge to what we can do. Um, so, but feel free to go ahead and type those in, whether it be about how to execute a time trial or it could be, um, perhaps instead of how to execute a time trial, maybe it's just a question about nutrition, training, or cycling, or what have you. Um, so let's look at uh, some, some questions here. We have, uh, let's see, Phil, you ask, I know you really pay attention to your power when you're time trialing. Um, how, much attention, how much attention do you give to your speed? Um, how deep are you willing to go on, uh, on the uphills on a rolling course? So that's Kind of that question that we talk about, where to uh-huh. balance your power out. Do I go hard on the hills? Do you pay attention to your speed on, the, on a time trial, Justin? Yeah, if, if you know the course, um, you can use that as a bit of a carrot. Um, I kind of always, you know, I, it, it depends because, yeah, you, you have to know the course and, and what previous editions have have you know, the results, I guess, uh, up at big bear redlands, it's a 15 minute time trial. The, the winner is like 31, 31 and a half miles an hour. Sometimes the other weekend I won at 28 average. So know, know the course and, 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 and that speed that you're shooting for before you let, let speed, uh, dictate your race. That's huge. You can't let it freak yourself out. I mean, I, this has happened to me before when I'm going in and you know, I, I think, okay, this is a good speed when I'm on the flats and then I get to a hill and my speed drops. Mm-hmm. You can't panic. Yeah, but even right? then, I mean, like on an out and back course, headwind versus a tailwind. So last year I rolled this part 30 miles an hour. I was flying. This year I'm going 26. What gives? Yeah. And you turn around, you're coming back at 35. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, even, even speed can certainly work against you. Um, a lot of other factors to take into account. Yeah. Uh, if you're hitting that hill, though, um, uh, you don't want to really attack hills. Um, like, don't go so hard that you can't, you know, that it blows you up. You know that you have a little bit of recovery on the backside, but you need to be able to push it over the top of that hump. And uh, so, so if it's a, a, a longer climb, you know, just just pay attention to your numbers, and you can you can ramp it up, you know, up to five percent. But don't go much that. above that. That seems to be the range. It's yeah, five like percent maybe. 5% over on the uphill, 5% below on the downhill, and it yeah. all come, kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah. 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 Being as disciplined with that as possible, is, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to do, definitely. Yeah. Brian, uh, you ask how many calories um, per gram or carbohydrates three hours before a TT do you eat? I assume that's the question there. Do you negatively extrapolate knowing your power and time and subsequently knowing how many kilojoules your race will be? So 
Justin, do you try to balance out the kilojoules that you'll expend during the race beforehand? Uh, no, no. I pretty much eat the same thing no matter what, uh, unless it's like towards the end of a stage race and you got a huge road race ahead of you, then, you know, maybe you could pile on some, some extra calories. Uh, but for, for time trialing, um, don't, don't worry too much about, you know, calculating it just perfectly, just know what your stomach can handle. And, uh, you know, you should have enough glycogen stores to finish, uh, uh, 40 K is usually the longest, you know, it's a 50, 50 minute to an hour time trial. Um, you should have enough in reserve to, to power you through that. Yeah, if you're talking about a really long epic ride, you know, some if it's like a long one day race or anything else like that, or not even a race, just a long ride, mm-hmm. then it can be pretty important to, to calculate usually, those kilos. Usually important at that point, know? yeah. But for something like you know, these you know, hour ish, sub hour events, yeah, you yeah. can you can most likely get a, get away with whatever's on board. Yeah. You know? Correct. Yeah. yeah, no need to carry. In most cases, granted, I'm sure there's some time trial that's extremely long of it. Sure. <laughs> there are, there are, they do exist, but yeah. in most cases, you're not going to be carrying on nutrition to eat, you know, when you're on the bike. So yeah. in most cases. Yeah. If you're talking triathlons, uh, then, yeah. then we're, we're looking at that's Older, probably where you're going to want to start weighing stuff out <laughs> and knowing exactly how much it's going to take to get you through a nine hour event or something yeah, like that. Sure. And, yeah. Uh, then it's just about getting creative with how you store all the goo on your body and bike. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Um, AJ asks, um, he has a pacing question. Um, uh, he says that he has a question for Justin. Power versus pacing in real time during a TT. So I assume that, I assume, and, and let us know if, uh, if we, we have this wrong, AJ, but I assume that what you're talking about is going off of a power goal, versus going off of pacing in real time when you're in the TT and perhaps, you know, you have your power goal and you're not able to maintain it. Mm-hmm. I think we already covered that point somewhat in the sense that if you have your power goal and you want to maintain a certain wattage and you're not able to maintain it and, you know, how do you adjust your plan? We pretty well covered that one beforehand, but... Um, so power, was it, what does it say again, just so I can... Power versus pacing in a real time, uh, in real time during a, a TT. So he mentions, do you switch metrics? He just chimed in there. So, um, so if you're using power, uh, and then do you just go towards, I assume, just off of like a perceived... Or, or speed, speed or, you know, heart rate. It depends. Like well, I don't, I don't ride with heart rate. Uh, I, I did that song and dance a while ago, and I just, uh, I just went with power um yeah i i always know that the beginning of my time trial is is going to be you know high a little bit so i do everything in my power to to start dropping the numbers down to goal pace as soon as possible and then from there um you can make adjustments uh you know based on what you're seeing and what your body feels like you kind of have to have that like mental uh, coaching session, like, you know, just checking in with your body at 10 minutes into a time trial and going, oh, you know, this 400 Watts is, is un- it's not going to last. It's not going to last. Let's, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's drop it down to 390 and, uh, you know, see how my body reacts to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers it, but yeah, yeah I think it does. I think it gets us perhaps as close as we'll get on that one. Um, Chuck, you ask, uh, how do you handle stomach cramps when you're TTing? Um, Justin, I don't know if you have any experience with this. I, I have a huge amount of experience with stomach uh-huh. cramps in general. I lived in South America for a while, and parasites became <laughs> my friends. And as a result, I seem to not be able to handle anything with food. 
Um, but what do you say, Justin? I mean, have you had to deal with this type of an effort? I, uh, you know what? Today in my training, I had a serious side ache going on, going up Geiger. Um, but luckily I have not felt, I don't have too many stomach issues. I kind of know my nutrition. Um, I trust my products. Herbalife's got a sweet, sweet line of products. I've used them in training leading up to the event. So I kind of, you know, I've dabbled with, with all my, all my fluids and stuff like that. And to, to where my stomach's not going to bother me. That's a good point. Like Chad, you said, it's such an important thing. No surprises on race day. Yeah. You can't, you can't afford to do that. I mean, and then that's how I've learned to manage my stomach cramps is just the fact that I have a very structured uh-huh. meal plan in the sense that I know exactly what I'm going to eat and when. If I do that, I can generally manage things. If you are consistent and structured with things, then feel free to adjust certain aspects. If you're still getting stomach cramps, you need to then change something. You need to change something up. Yeah, you Usually, shouldn't be getting them. Yeah, I, I, I haven't. I don't experience stomach cramps too much on a bike. I've definitely, you know, everybody talks about it when they run. That's a different story, but but on the bike, I don't have too many problems with that. And if you do, then you either need to find a solution or learn how to just power through it. Just you yes. know, use that a little bit of extra pain to to, to push. But yeah, it doesn't sound fun. Yeah, don't take the swag um, stuff that you find in the paddock at races. Yeah. You know, when guys are handing out stuff for free. <laughs> Take it, put it in your bag, save it for afterwards if you want, but certainly don't take it right then. Yeah, the, more, the more important the event is to you, the less you leave the chance. Great. It's really that simple. That's a perfect point. Awesome. Uh, Adam, uh, classic turnaround question on out and back course. Uh, hug that cone or shoot a bit past for a more wide turn? I'm terrible at turnarounds. I, every time I go around a turnaround, no matter how much I practice it, I'm like, oh, I lost five seconds there. Um, <laughs> You know, everybody's got to go around it. Uh, stay wide, uh, you know, stay wide until the last possible second, and then try to try to cut it across the cone as you're coming back and up the road. Watch Formula One and MotoGP. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to be my best bit of advice there. Yeah. Uh, and, and you also said stay wide. Yeah. If you are concerned about the turn, stay wide. As yeah. in, like, not just don't, don't be worried about hitting your apex. Just keep momentum through that turn. That should be your goal because think about it in that sense that every little bit of speed that you can carry through that turn afterwards is going to help in the sense that you won't have to expend as much energy to get back up to speed. Yeah. Um, you cutting off three feet of the course to hit that cone versus drifting out a bit is going to be, it's not going to be worth the risk you might take or the amount of power you're going to have to expend to slow down to hit that. You yeah. know? And um, practice them. Practice them both ways. Usually it's a left-handed one. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever had a right-handed turnaround. No, but. Practice them on your street. Practice them on uh, narrow two-lane roads. Uh, know that your time trial bike uh, yeah. can only turn so much, uh, <laughs> which mine has uh, limited range. So I, I, I definitely practice that on my street. You know, every once in a while, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. <laughs> and uh, you know, into the turnaround's kind of like a, it's kind of an interesting time in the race. Um, I usually use like the coast in to my advantage. I kind of use it as a little little bit of a recovery rather than going in hot and slamming on the brakes. I don't, you know, maybe you lose a second, but you give yourself like 10 seconds of recovery going into the turn where you're just kind of coasting a little bit and easing up on the pedals and letting momentum just slowly drop down Mm -hmm. because you're going to have to come to a pretty close to, you know, uh, you know, down from 30 miles an hour to at least 10 or maybe less depending on how tight it is. But you know, I use that as like a little bit of a recovery time and 
get myself ready for that. You know, when I come out of that turnaround, it's like game time. And when we're talking bike handling, and one of the 101 things of turning is the fact that if you push too hard into that turn, it's going to be a lot slower turn yeah, <laughs> than yeah. if you would have been more conservative. Yeah. So you're on a bike that doesn't handle as well as a road bike. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt in the yeah. sense that don't feel so rushed to charge into that turn. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to win the race there. No, you can certainly lose it. That's for yeah. sure. Um, Chuck, do you wear your road shoes or do you have special TT shoes? So do you ask you, Justin? Uh, same shoes. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, I have a uh, Mavic shoes. Um, yeah, I have orthotics that I have in, in my shoes. Yeah, same, same pair of shoes. I do bring an extra set of shoes to big races uh, with, with, you know, um, your pedals or uh, what what's the word? Yeah. Cleats yeah. I'm looking for. Uh, ready to go in case of emergency kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I always use the same shoes. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, Chad, do you have anything like that? Do you have TT shoes that you use? Uh, for a short while, and it was just because I had extra shoes. So, okay. and, and I take that back. I had different pedals on my TT bike because I like bigger platforms, uh-huh. and I like uh, speed plays for mass start events because it's just a pain when you miss getting into your pedal and 30 yeah. riders zing yeah. by you. Huh. Time trials, though, you get a bike hold, so I would have toe-in pedals, um, and hence different shoes. But that was what drove that decision. It wasn't uh, They weren't more aerodynamic or different in any any other manner if aerodynamic efficiency is the drive try out some shoe covers or anything like sure that. yeah so, yeah and once again shoe covers are even it goes back and forth depending on you know better. what shoes you have <laughs> I mean, your foot yeah. angle and everything else so mm-hmm. uh all right uh, what about sub uh hydration for a sub hour tt like a 40k so gregory's asking about that with do you hydrate if, if it's a sub 40k tt do you bring on on the bike hydration justin uh never Never use it. Um, Do you have it on your bike? Nope. No, I don't even. I don't even want to tempt myself. When I first started, I, I, I think I had like a little uh, gel flask that I like zip tied or not zip tied, but like velcroed to my arrow bars just so I could get like my mouth wet in the middle of the time trial on the forty k. Yeah. Um, but that goes back to preparation. I train uh, in, during my intervals. I don't drink on the time trial bike and and some people do some people need to have water that's just a a preference thing i feel like it's non-aerodynamic it you know the fact that you have to reach down and grab a bottle and and sip in in an aero bar uh, it just disrupts your rhythm exactly and really once you wet your mouth you're just going to be thirsty in a few minutes anyways it's a mean um, trick that our body plays on us. Yeah, <laughs> if you if you can't do it without, then then you know that through training. Um, the fluids just, aren't vital. I can tell you that. Not for an event that short. If you come into it hydrated, you're not going to dehydrate to a point of performance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Certainly. Yeah, and, and train for this, right? I mean, for the guy that normally is the no matter what ride type of riding you're doing, you're always drinking. It's yeah. going to come as a shock to your system if you just show up tomorrow and race without it. But train train with it. You'll you'll be all right. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't have to. You'd be surprised what your body can do when, <laughs> when you don't have it available. Exactly. You know, bring it. I always have water with me at the start line. I take a big old swig right before, you know, right as, you know, five minutes. I, I definitely hydrate up there and get my mouth ready. And then it's then it's go time and you just throw it aside. And yeah. One less thing it. to worry about. Yeah. yeah. That's seconds there. Yep. That's seconds sure. grabbing water. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Brian asks, given different mental feedback between power on the flat road or on a climb, 
uh, do you, being Justin, have a preference for your FTP blocks? So I assume, Brian, that what you're talking about, I mean, Justin, if you have any insight on this one, if you know what he's talking uh-huh. about there, go ahead. But. Yeah, uh, so it depends. Is he talking road bike or time trial bike when climbing? Um, for me, and this is probably why I'm successful at time trials, is my power on the time trial bike is as good or better than on a road bike climbing. Uh, now, I can't get some cr- like a 10-minute climb, like really steep. I can't touch those kind of numbers. But a long climb um, versus a long flat TT, I can hold the same power on the time trial bike. And that's where intervals on the trainer comes in and just... And, and pushing the flats when you're in training and doing those long threshold intervals. Um, I, I have about the same the same number on a time trial bike versus a road bike. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, FTP is FTP. It doesn't matter if the road's tipping upward or, or flat. Yeah, and if you have a little bit of a loss to your time trial bike, that's you know that's that's one thing that that could be your position. A lot of people really struggle with that bent over position. They they can't breathe as well. Um, some people are just made to sit really upright on a road bike and go uphill. They just, you know, we, sure. I have guys on, on my team that they, they cannot produce the same amount of watts on their time trial bike as their road bike. So they probably aren't riding it twice a week, and they right. probably don't have the same cadence. You know? yeah. They usually have a little bit lower cadence as you climb on a road bike mm-hmm. versus a time trial bike. Um, so maybe take a look at that. Ah, those are great tips. Fantastic. Um, Mike wants to know, uh, Justin, what tire size do you find works the best? The trend <laughs> seems to be wide on the front and narrow in the back. Any input would be great. That's, I, I think he might have that opposite. Um, from, from, and I talked to some real nutty aero geeks. Um, right now I have a Zip 808 clincher. Um, I run it with the latex tube, and I have a supersonic 20-millimeter tire. Uh, in the back, I run a 25 GP 4000. Although today in the mail came uh, the specialized cotton oh, sweet. tires, uh, nice. and those are 24s. So certainly, it's going to be a good tire for the rear. Uh, in the front, we'll see. I'm going to wait for some data to come back. I'll probably give it a try. Um, but yeah, usually uh, uh, smaller in the front and a little bit bigger in the back. Is 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 yeah, my recommendation. That's what I agree. Yeah. yeah. Everything I've read and the, the aero geeks that I do talk to say much the same thing. Yeah. And perhaps the governing principle that I've seen there is the fact that the, the tire is similar to the width of the rim in the sense that you don't want to have a, a, a narrow tire with a, with a wide rim or, you know, vice versa. You know, you want to create that smooth tyrolde or whatever you say. You want to have that smooth profile across from the front of the tire across the rim. Yeah. So that's somewhat subjective to the wheels you have, right, to a certain extent. So that's I mean, my understanding, yeah. You've got some really narrow Reynolds on there, like the old ones <laughs> that they had that were just, a, they were razors. If you had those things on there, then you might not need to run such a huge tire. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely in vogue to go wide, but it may not be the best. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so, Brian, you mentioned the fact... Um, you, you, uh, you, you were the one that actually just talked about... Uh, Pushing on, the, or sorry, you t- you're mentioning 20 millimeters on a Firecrest crest. Uh, is that what you're running in the in the back of Firecrest rim? No, back no, now? in the back. Yeah, I'm running. I have a 25 now, and I'm actually going to try out the Specialized Cotton 24. And then the rim that you're running in the back? Oh, gosh, I should know this. It's, it's the new uh, Zip Clincher Sub 
I, it's so wide. It is yeah. so wide. It's I mean, it's perfect. like I had to cut the, my brake pads down to like little mm-hmm. nubs to <laughs> fit that thing yeah. in my old time trial bike. Now, now with the speed concept, it's a pretty sweet little uh, adjustment right. that you can make on the brakes to make it really wide. But it, yeah. it's a really, really wide rim. And the 808 up front is pretty wide too, I believe. When we're talking about aerodynamic benefits on the tire and the rim, in the front, it's much more important in the back, not quite as much. When we're talking about that's the leading edge of your bike in the front, you know, the wind is hitting. Uh-huh. And in the back, as far as the tire to rim interface, from what, I've under, from what I understand from what I've read, it's not quite as crucial that those two match up directly. And in fact, if anything, in the back, it's much more about bike handling there with that tire and how that thing is going to be handling for you i mean yeah you maybe want you want a little more that. puncture protection or <laughs> uh pinch flatting stuff like that you're going to need that a little more in the rear than the front certainly perfect all right guys so that wraps up all the questions and that'll wrap us up for the webinar or for the webinar thanks for joining us justin thanks for coming yeah absolutely uh yeah we'll be back around for the next time stay tuned to our facebook page for all the different webinars we'll be putting out uh road racing triathlon mountain biking training whatever it may be we'll talk to you guys soon happy training thanks everyone thank you